Stand with me for a word of prayer this morning. And Father, would you lead us in prayer this morning? Our Father in heaven, we thank thee that the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, whereby he might redeem us. Amen. We thank thee that we stand in him today, not in ourselves or in our works or in our improvements or any other changes. We give thee praise and thanks for all that you have done in us and for us. Amen. We thank thee for your word, and we pray that its application to our lives will be personal, meaningful, and powerful today. We seek this not for the sake of the preacher or for the sake of the pulpit, but for your glory and your honor. Amen. to yield ourselves unto Thee as we are taught and as we are ministered to by Your Spirit and by the Word. We pray that the power of God from heaven will be upon this message for Your glory and Your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. What can we learn together in the next few minutes to have more of that relationship that we saw in Psalm 4? That's the purpose for preaching, to perfect the saints before the Lord that we might learn more about Him and about what He's expecting and desiring from us that we can please Him more perfectly. Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 6, excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read to you a short little phrase that I hope you will never forget. We are not going to walk with God and have the relationship with Him that we should unless we get this phrase down pat. And I want to help you this morning. And it's the sixth verse of the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy. Amen. Amen. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. Can we learn the full breadth of that short sentence in the next few minutes together. That's the goal. Stay with me. And it's not with me. It's with the Lord. What does He want out of your life to be more pleasing to Him? But godliness with contentment is great gain. I fear that our Christianity in this country in general, but in this congregation in particular is weak, carnal, hypocritical, powerless, and pathetic in the sight of God. You say that's not a very kind message. It means we can do better. It means we should do better. It means I'm praying we'll do better. I will continue in the course I began several weeks ago And that is our perfection in holiness and righteousness and godliness before the Lord. And if the Lord will bless me, he's going to use this short sentence and the sense of these words to provoke your hearts to seek him above anything else. Everyone is worried, concerned, thoughts in their minds, plans, goals, objectives to be successful. Everyone wants to be successful. 
They want to have a successful life. I want to be a success. It's part of the nature of our society that we live in. Success is everything. Well, what is true success? True success. So that when you get to the end of your life, you know that you've had a successful life. So that every day when you close it and you do go to bed, you know that you have had a successful day. What is true success? This verse is true success. And it's not mere success. It is great success. It is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. Our nation does not know either of these two concepts at all. We are a pagan nation. By anything you want to watch in our media and what you see coming from the highest office and what you see defended in our courts, we are a pagan, perverse nation. We profane many of the things God has established as being holy. And we are a nation that is not content. There is one religion in America today, and it is more, more, more. They're not content. They want to see a higher stock market. They're not content with 4,000 square feet for them and their one child. They want 5,000 square feet. A three-car garage for two driving adults is not enough. We need a four-car garage. And if the Lord blesses you with those things, thank Him for it. But to desire those things is to have your affections in the wrong place. Look at the context. Let's first of all run back to the beginning of this chapter and run forward to see the context before our sixth verse. Verse 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Employees should be exemplary in their treatment of their employers. In the Bible, those were called servants and masters. We We should call it that way today. There'd be less confusion in the workplace. Employers and employees is a little too similar, and there's no similarity between a master and a servant, a boss, and a worker. There is in our society, but there isn't in God's opinion. There's a big difference. And so all servants that are under the yoke should count their own masters worthy of all honor. I hope you show respect, reverence, obedience, and honor to your employers, because it's a commandment of the Lord God. There's a reason for it. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. If you are known as a Christian in the workplace, and yet you don't give honor to your employer, you're going to give someone an occasion to blaspheme God's name and His doctrine. Christianity means nothing. Look at the way He works. Verse 2. And they that have believing masters, there's a few of those in here, A few of you work for believing masters. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren. Familiarity breeds contempt, they tell us. And because we're all members, equal members here in an assembly, if you're working for another brother in this assembly, there's a temptation to despise them because they are brethren. But don't do that, according to this verse but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit because Jesus Christ has saved them is is a reason that you ought to give them devoted service. These things teach and exhort. 
See, this is a pastoral epistle. This is what I'm supposed to teach. I'm told by the Word of God, these things teach and exhort. I exhort all of you to serve your employers well. Amen. And honor the name of God and His doctrine. And to lift it up that way. Amen. And for those of you that are working for believing brethren in this assembly, remember that verse 2 is for you. And to do them service rather. You have a better reason. They're brethren in the Lord that Jesus Christ Amen. is saved. Right. Now we come to the third verse and it says, If any man teach otherwise... And then we have a whole lot of commas, and we can come all the way down to verse 5, the last few words, where it says, From such withdraw thyself. If any man teaches otherwise about serving your employer, whether he be a believer or not, if he teaches anything other than than what I just taught you, he's to be withdrawn from because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now that's a strong statement, but look at verse 3. If any man teach otherwise... And consent not to wholesome words. Wholesome words are not the words approved by the American Family Association for family television. Wholesome words are not the words of James Dobson or Bill Gothard. Wholesome words, according to the text, are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at times they're sharp, they're biting, they're condemning but they're faithful and they're true. And that makes them wholesome. The effeminate words of effeminate speakers today are not wholesome words. They're compromising words of weak men who have a weak doctrine and who will not do this nation or anyone any lasting good. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ are true wholesome words. They will feed and nourish your souls and make you great in the sight of God. That's right. And there is no compromising those words. Amen. That's why the apostle tells us, minister, if any man teach otherwise, and he doesn't consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, and that's what Amen. I'm preaching you right now, there, there is a specific doctrine according to godliness. Right. Now there'll be lots of doctrines in the world. There'll be lots of religions, there'll be lots of faiths, there'll be lots of denominations, but there is only one doctrine which is according to godliness. Only one. And it is to be communicated by the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if any man does anything different than that, wrong doctrine, wrong choice of words, from such withdraw thyself. Then the apostle goes on and describes this type of preacher, teacher, In other words, he says in verse 4, he's proud, he knows nothing, but dotes about questions and strifes of words, wants to debate little insignificant meaningless points. Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Now that is a pretty hard, harsh description but it fits a lot of those who take upon themselves the role of a teacher today. They don't hold to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. They quibble about this. They argue about that. They evil surmise about various people in public places. They do all sorts of things. It creates envy, strife, and bitterness. But they have a philosophy. And it's the philosophy of our country. Supposing that gain is godliness. These type of ministers believe the bigger size proves godliness. Wealth proves godliness. And it's the way our nation thinks. How many times in a workplace 
have you seen a promotion happen to someone and others will say, he must be living right. On what basis? Because he got promoted? You've, you've all heard that, haven't you? Every single one of you have heard that. He must be living right. And there you are. You were bypassed in that promotion. And you know that you've been seeking the Lord with your whole heart. Should you be moved? According to Psalm 4, the Lord sets you apart for himself. Amen. Who cares if they've set you apart? Amen. But look, gain is godliness. People look at religions. They see a big church with 2,000 members. A huge gymnasium built to the glory of young men. And they say, that church must be the Lord's church because look at its size. The Lord has blessed them. That's nowhere taught in the Word of God. In fact, if a man believes that, we're to get away from him, according to this text. Supposing. See, it's their imagination. Supposing. It's their hallucination. That material blessings in life are an indicator of God's blessings. And that gain, or getting ahead, or making money, or living in a bigger house, or having a bigger church, or having a wealthier nation, means that nation must be godly. So we come to the sixth verse. These false teachers suppose that gain is godliness, but then the apostle tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. See how he takes their words and twists them around to show the truth. They have the right words, they're just not in the right order. Gain is not godliness. Godliness is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's look at the context that follows this verse. Verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Amen. Now with all the children in this assembly, surely every father and every mother has seen how a child arrives in the world. How big is their bank account that they bring with them? What position in life do they carry? What's their set of clothing that they have? They come in with nothing. We all came in that way, absolutely naked before the Lord. The, the wise man in the book of Ecclesiastes said, we're born the same way as a wild ass's colt. We come into the world the same inglorious way. Nothing. For, it, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Do we all believe that? Amen. That we're not going to take anything? I like his choice of words here. It is certain we can carry nothing out. What should that mean to us? Amen. Therefore, anything you have is by the goodness of God. Amen. Because you got here with nothing. And if you have something, anything, it is the goodness of God. Because there are some that arrive in this world with nothing and depart from this world shortly thereafter with nothing. Anything you have is by the goodness of God. Anything. Anything. Because you didn't bring anything. So anything you have, God gave it to you. What else can we conclude from that seventh verse? Therefore, any efforts, any efforts to accumulate or to accomplish something for yourself are totally vain because you're not going to carry anything out so to accumulate what in the world are you accumulating for and if you say well I'm accumulating for my children and my grandchildren well the Lord says that that that's good as a part of a good righteous life 
But before I get done this morning, I hope that you'll want to give them something a whole lot better than a bank account. What in the world? Give them poverty with godliness rather than riches without godliness. Verse 8, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Wise men will understand this text. This isn't an absolute prohibition of anything beyond food and raiment. Couldn't be. Otherwise, none of us could justify a roof over our heads because of the scripture text. This is a principle that you are on a journey. You're on a trip. But instead of from Greenville to Florida, your trip is from nothing to nothing. Therefore, having food and raiment ought to be enough because anything beyond that is unnecessary care. And don't we get... Ex- Listen... Everybody, every, those, those of you who are homeowners and those of you who are large homeowners or two homeowners or whatever, you know the care that it brings, the responsibilities and the worry and the care and the fuss to maintain those homes. That's the point. Food and raiment are simple items that can sustain your life so that you can keep pursuing godliness, which was mentioned in verse 6. But when we go beyond that, which our society says, I mean, to be content with food and raiment, it's simple. You are a loser. But the Lord would say, if you choose to be content with the simple things of life and the basic necessities to pursue me, you are a winner. Now, we've got two doctrines diametrically opposed to each other, one taught by our society and viewed in every advertising medium available, and we've got one in the Word of God that we get twice a Sunday. And every other time you open its pages to find out what the Lord wants you to do. Any man, especially in this nation, can acquire those two things easily. So whenever you get frustrated because you're not making enough money, I fear that your frustration is not because you're not able to keep verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, but because you're wanting to acquire things you don't need. I fear that. And if you can prove me wrong, because I don't see frustration ever on the part of a godly man, I see a godly man thankful for very simple and basic things and trusting the Lord for everything else. Verse 9 says, But they that will be rich. The last few issues of Forbes magazine, my favorite business periodical, which I don't read very much anymore, but the last several, over the last year or two, because of the tremendous increase in the stock market and the making of millions of paper millionaires, You know, the front cover has been, everyone's getting rich. Are you? Now, what does a title like that do? It sows seeds of discontent. It sows frustration with your job. What's wrong with what I'm, I've been working hard and I'm not, all these millionaires and I'm not getting ahead. The Lord God is burying this nation with unprecedented prosperity in the history of the world as a judgment, not as a blessing. Because he is doing it in the face of ungodliness. So it is confirming this nation in its ungodly course of action. Do not be deceived by their riches. I hate those magazine covers. Those people that think they're getting rich... Ecclesiastes speaks well about them. They're no happier than you are. They're so worried about that stock market coming down or what to do with their new profits. 
just as Solomon said they would be, and who they're going to leave them to. They're going out of this world with nothing. Who are they going to give their stock portfolio to? Little Johnny, who they've spoiled rotten all his life, and he'll squander it in about three years on Dodge Vipers and trips around the world? They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, a trap. If you desire to be rich, you will fall into temptation and you'll get yourself in a trap. A trap. You can't get out of a trap, right? Isn't that what a trap is for? It's to catch something and not let it go. You will get into a trap that doesn't let you go. If you try to be rich, it will drive you every day, every night, all waking minutes of trying to get ahead with frustration and vain effort. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Look at that text. Let the full weight of those words rest on your souls. You desire to be rich. You are chasing temptation, a snare which will not let you go. Many foolish and hurtful lusts. You will suffer. Here's the point. If you pursue riches, not only will you miss God, for God's sake, you will suffer. It is not a choice of happiness or the Lord. It is a choice of unhappiness and no Lord. Right. Do you see that in the text? If you simplify it too much and say that it's a choice of happiness versus the Lord, uh-uh, that's not what he's teaching at all. Because the desire to be rich will, catch, will get you in a trap that you cannot get out of that will hurt you. Many foolish and hurtful lusts. Because it will you'll never have contentment. You will not have peace. You're always wanting to get ahead. Every time you see someone who's got ahead a little bit faster than you, you're going to be frustrated again. Every time you see someone that has a little bit more than you, you're going to be frustrated again. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. Perdition is judgment. Drown men. The desire to be rich drowns men. It'll ruin you. Who cares about riches? Let's have godliness. Amen. Right. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now it's my job to give you the sense of these words. David did not commit adultery with Bathsheba because he loved money. Amen. So the love of money is not the root of every single occurrence of evil. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Right. Which, while some coveted after... They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let me point it again from this verse. You choose wealth or the things of this life. You choose to err from the faith. That means you have departed from God and His doctrine. So you've missed the Lord, but notice what else it says. And you pierce yourself through with many sorrows. I preach peace to you today. I preach true happiness to you today. I preach gladness to you today. It far exceeds all those things. The point of verse 10 is the heart. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money. Money's not evil in itself. It's just a means of exchange. But it's the love of that thing. It's the worry about getting ahead, about the bigger house, about the more cars, about this and about that. It's that love and craving and need for those things from your heart. Because our heart and our cravings and our needs and our love should be for the Lord Himself. Right. Not these things. We've looked at the context. Now let's look at our verse. 
And I hope that's been helpful for you to see the large context. Now we come to that sixth verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Everyone in America wants to get ahead, and they want to get ahead faster, and they want to get ahead farther. It's the driving impetus in this country, and it's not godly. You know what they call it? The Christian work ethic. Christians ought to work hard, but not like Americans are working. They're obsessed with more. It's the religion of more. 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 Never, ever, ever do they allow or justify or defend or propose that a man cut off an opportunity. Hardly ever. There's exceptions. That doesn't nullify a general rule. It establishes it as a general rule because it's an exception. To cut off opportunities and to settle for less, to bypass a promotion, to turn down a promotion, to take a call from a headhunter for a better job paying you twice as much and to turn it down? You're a loser. That's ridiculous. That's anti-American. Yes. And it's godly. America is obsessed with covetousness and things and wealth and riches. Verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want to have great gain, do you believe God or is this book nothing but the writings of some old men who didn't know what they were talking about? This is the word, these are the words of the living God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that great gain is what Psalm 4 described for us earlier. God will set you apart as His own, and He will put gladness in your heart that exceeds anything they've ever had. You can lay down in your bed and sleep in peace. That is a successful life. The Lord is with you personally. He has gladness in your heart, and you are totally content, safe, and laying in your bed sleeping peacefully. Amen. What else would a person want? I want the great big house that I cannot stop working like a slave to keep paying for. And when I go to bed at night, I'm worrying about what's happening to my stock portfolio because as I go to bed, Tokyo has started trading. And as I wake up, London is already trading. Do you know how many people there are today living that way? I'm serious. They cannot wait to get their hands in a Wall Street Journal to see what happened overseas with their stock portfolio. They're worried all the time. They have to work and work and work because every time they come home, someone is building a new house in that subdivision that's bigger than theirs. And it irks them. Great gain. We all want success. I want you to be successful. I want to be successful. But I've got my success defined, and it's defined in these words. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I have five sons. There was a time where I think people thought, and probably not unjustifiably, that I wanted five banking sons to follow me in banking. Here's what I want my son. Here's what I tell my sons. I will be completely and totally happy and proud of you sons if you were to end up living in a mobile home 
with a godly woman, and the two of you together loved the Lord with your whole heart. And when you went to bed at night, you held her contentedly and in peace. And your final words were whispered in her ear, a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord for blessing you with so much. Amen. That's success. I said that's the best this world can offer until we get to heaven. To love your wife, second. Love the Lord first. To pursue godliness and to be content with whatever you have. If it's a trailer and there's a frying pan sitting in the middle of the kitchen to catch that drop that's coming through a leaky roof. I don't want them to aspire to that necessarily, but if they end up with that because they're pursuing godliness with their whole heart, terrific. Right. No one wants a frying pan in the kitchen catching water. But if you were there, couldn't you smile with your wife and laugh about it and say, the Lord's been good to us. We've got the frying pan to catch it. I mean, it's perspective of a godly person. Godliness. What is godliness? Let's make it simple. Let's not get deep. No dictionaries. No 40 passages to turn to. Godliness is being like God and doing those things that please God. Amen. Let's, make, let's keep it right there where you can grab it and go home with it and remember these words and never forget them. And, and see, i got to repeat it again. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. Great gain. Godliness. Being like God and doing those things that please God. It includes a great seeking for God. Right. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So to please God, which is obviously godliness, you have to be a diligent seeker of God. Not a diligent seeker of doctrine first. Not a diligent seeker of a church first. But a diligent seeker of God Himself. You must believe that He is. Present tense verb, He exists. And that He will come to you if you seek Him diligently. That is godliness. I was going to preach this morning on walking with God. Probably next Sunday. You know that's... I want to get to that. But this is part of it. We've got to have this. We've got to get rid of this gain is godliness before we can walk with God. I want all of us to be like Enoch. I want all of you to have those moments of frustration where you're wondering why the Lord didn't take you. And you know, some of you have had them before, but you want them back. Some of you may not have ever had them. And I want you to have them because once you have it, nothing else compares. But this American way of looking at life will destroy that walking with God. So the first thing about godliness we want to realize is that it's pursuing God himself. Now, last Sunday I preached to you about holiness. God is holy, and he says, Be ye holy, even as I am holy, and for, because I am holy. Therefore, for us to be godly in our lives, we have to cut out things, everything that's unholy. And we looked at a whole lot of things last Sunday, and I can't re-preach that sermon right now, or we'll be here a lot longer than I committed to be here today. But I hope you remember it. If it, if it is gone already, brethren, what am I going to do? 
I can't go back and re-preach it right now. God wants us to be holy. That means everything in your life that is unholy needs to be cut out with a machete. Quit trying to be so careful with some surgeon's knife. You say, but what if I get a little bit of my flesh? Get it. Do I have a Bible verse to justify me? If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Your right eye is very valuable. Your right hand is very practical and important to necessary aspects of life. If you have something in your life that is unholy and that is not leading you toward holiness, cut it off, cut it out, get rid of it. Slash it, burn it. You say you're sounding extreme. If you're not extreme, you'll never meet God. Because He is extreme and His holiness is extreme and He wants us to be extreme for Him and He will give you extreme pleasure when you find Him. Amen. There's no other way toward this. I taught it last Sunday. We're to be holy because He is. Godliness is holiness because God is holy. Godliness is the opposite of worldliness. Do you know that... I'm going to leave you right here at the text. Just listen to me. James 4, four. Whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, does the enemy of God sound like godliness? No. No. But if you're a friend of the world, what would it mean to be a friend of the world? Like the things they say, like the things they do, like the things they believe. You're well accepted by everyone in the world who worships money, who worships success, who worships getting ahead, who has no regard for a personal relationship with God, who is not seeking it as the number one goal in their life, you're a friend with them. You're a friend of this world's philosophies. You're an enemy of God. You say, that is severe language. Why do you talk that way? I just quoted a verse. And brethren, those are the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Yes. I'm so glad that I have a manual given to me on how to preach. Amen. Called a King James Bible. Amen. The wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ say that if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. You haven't even got close to 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Let's cut those things out of our lives. Let's be extreme for Him. Let's not have anything in our lives that profane us. Because if you're profane, God will not come to you. He will leave you with a lean soul. Do I know what I'm talking about? Seven years. And I don't want anyone to have a lean soul. It's a horrible way to live. Remember the verse that gives us the lean soul words. It's first, it's Psalm 106. And it says these people and Israelites wandering in the wilderness wanted something. What'd they want? They were discontent with manna. God sent them manna. I'll bet it was pretty good. I'll bet it was, I'll bet it, beat cream of wheat. You know, the Israelites had manna. They'd go out every morning and scrape it up and they'd have enough to eat all day. And they did that day after day. They didn't have to work for it. Wouldn't you like that? Stay at home and serve the Lord. Love your wife. Spend time with your children. The Lord brings you food every day on your doorstep. We don't like manna. We're tired of manna. We can do better than manna. All the pagans around us are eating better than manna. They've got meat. Moses, get us meat. If you desire it, God may give it to you. And if he gives it to you, you don't want it. He gave them quail. He gave them quail. They they wanted quail, so he gave them quail. He gave them quail four and a half feet deep, as far as a man could walk in any direction of the compass around the camp of Israel. 
They heaped it up into mountains that looked like pyramids. And the Lord killed them while they had it in their mouths. But in Psalm 106, where that story is recounted to us by the psalmist, he says he gave them the desire of their heart. Now think about it. He gave them the desire of their heart, but he sent leanness into their soul. They got what they wanted, but they had a soul that had no fatness in it. It was just lean. It was dry. What's round steak compared to filet mignon? It ain't got no fat. I know that's bad English. It's got no fat. So it's not as good. It's dry. And our soul gets dry, and it's not very good, and it's not very happy, and there's no gladness there. But he gave us what we wanted. Oh, I want to get married so bad. I want to get married so bad. That's the most important thing to me right now. He may give you that. Let me tell you, being married and having a lean soul is not the way you want to live. It's better to have a fat soul and be unmarried for a while because he wants to see you wanting that fat soul. Then he'll give you a spouse. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Brethren, there is, they are diametrically opposed to each other. You cannot have both. Godliness is a, is a doctrine of separation. Amen. Look at Roman, uh, Romans chapter 8 says that we're to be spiritually minded. You don't have to turn there. It's verse 6 of Romans chapter 8. We're to be spiritually minded, not carnally minded. Godliness is being spiritually minded. Some of you seem to be incapable, and I sound harsh, Some of you seem to be incapable of a spiritually minded conversation. Every conversation is something about this life. Who gives a rip about this life? I will talk about this life if there are necessities or important matters to discuss after we talk about spiritual things. But the first thing off your lips ought to be something spiritual. Thanksgiving to the Lord for His goodness. Love of the Lord for His goodness. Blessings from the Lord because of His goodness. Your hope in the Lord because of His goodness. The Bible says we are to be spiritually minded and not carnally minded. And if you are carnally minded, you are showing not life. You are showing no life. No spiritual life. You are showing that you have no evidence of being a child of God. It does not matter that you attend this church. It does not matter that you love the doctrine of this church. Do you know what? Of all the doctrines of the... We believe that what we teach is the truth. The devils believe our doctrine more than the rest. Do you know why? Because they know it's the truth. James wrote and said, You believe there's one God? Thou doest well. Very sarcastic. Thou doest well. The devils also believe, and they tremble. Where is the spiritually mindedness? We're talking about godliness. What is godliness? It's being spiritually minded. Loving to talk about spiritual things. The Lord, His blessings, the fruit of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, His Word. Can't belabor the point. Be Be warned. If you do not have spiritual conversations with people, Romans 8, verse 6, and the verses around it, you do not have evidence of eternal life. Contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? Contentment is happy and satisfa- happiness and satisfaction with what you have. Discontentment brings sin. What makes a man commit adultery? Discontentment. <coughs> what made Am- 
what what leads a man to steal? Discontentment. Remember Ahab wanted that vineyard of Je- of uh, help me Naboth the Je- Naboth the Jezreelite. He wanted it so bad it tore him up because he was coveting what another man had. And he wanted it so bad he ends up not only stealing the vineyard but killing the man who owned it. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us that covetousness is idolatry. Now, none of I hope that none of you would go home and in your backyard have a little stone statue and kneel down there, light a candle, and bring out some food and leave it there. The birds eat it, trust me. But some people do that in the world. They do that. Go out, kneel down to a piece of stone, light a candle there, and leave some food for their God. But do you know what the Bible says? Covetousness is idolatry because you are making something more important than God and what He's given you in your life. If you're coveting something, wanting it with a strong desire when He didn't give it to you. That's the opposite of contentment. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Do you know what that text tells us? Contentment is a learned habit. It's a learned habit. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul had it. Paul had great gain. Don't we still talk about him to this day? How big was his house? Come on, help me. He didn't have a didn't have a house. How about his wife? How big was his family? Didn't have a family either. How many sets of clothes did he have? He said he was often in nakedness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Was he a success? Amen. Wow. Did the Lord stand with him in life? Amen. Before Caesar? Amen. Was he welcomed into heaven? Amen. Twice. He went there once and came back. The Lord took care of him and blessed him. He was a success and he had nothing of this world's goods. But my dream, and I believe it's godly, and I'm speaking as a fool, great set of clothes, invite people over with a great home, have lots of money to spread around to those that are in need. Of course, you're charitable. It's a tax deduction. I want to be a rich Christian. There's only one way you can be a rich Christian. God makes that choice for you. You can never make it yourself. Never, ever make it yourself. Here's why. Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon being a personification of wealth, money, and riches. Listen to the words. You can't do it. So, Give up that foolish notion. Many men have tried to do that, and America is filled with them. I want to be a Christian and be successful. Listen, if God grants you success, then be thankful. But when you set your heart on it, or you desire to have it, or that's one of your goals, rather than godliness, equal with godliness, even close to godliness, can't do it. He said you cannot do it. And so what we have are a bunch of frustrated, pathetic, powerless, weak, hypocritical Christians in this country, I fear this assembly, 
who want to have their cake and eat it too. And the Lord says, if you love me, you'll throw your cake away and come after me. And let me tell you, when he gives you cake, it's better. If you got what you wanted in the way of things, would it make you happy? The Bible says this, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Isn't that pitiful? Is that the sickness of the human heart? He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. My son-in-law has that posted on the wall of his office at his place of business. I like going in there and seeing that. What's easier? For a rich man to be a good Christian? Or for a camel to wiggle its way through the eye of a needle? Do you hear the message? Now that's pretty simple language, isn't it? It's easier for a camel to wiggle its way through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be a Christian. Jesus said those words, not Jonathan Crosby. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a wise prayer. Notice it wasn't give us this day that 5,000 square foot house that we want in such and such a subdivision. It's give us this day our daily bread. Godliness and contentment work together for great gain. But you know what's easy? You don't have to work on two things today because godliness includes contentment. Because if if you're living godly and you're practicing godliness in your life, part of it is contentment. You can't have the one without the other. If you're truly content, you are godly. You say, but I've seen slothful men that are content with nothing. I said true contentment. They're just lazy. We're talking about being content with what you have because God told you to be. It's part of godliness. Godliness includes contentment. They don't exist separately. And yet, you know what? You don't have to be content with your level of godliness. (laughs) I like that. That just gets me excited. I don't want to be content with my level of godliness. I know the Lord deserves better. I know I can give Him better. And I'm praying for the power of His Spirit to help me do it better. Amen. It is great gain. Can you hear me? Amen. Do you know how much people pay to go to success seminars? I'm giving you a success seminar. Right. Amen. And God gave me the agenda for it. Amen. Great gain. The Lord will take care of all the things that you need if you'll put those two things into practice. Did you know he says that you can save your life and lose your own soul? Did Jesus say, what if a man were to gain the whole world? Now listen, how many of you have ambitions that high? How about half that high? Anybody here want half the world? Jesus said, if you were to gain the whole world and lose your own soul, is it a wise and good exchange? No. Therefore, for your little measly pitiful ambitions that are not according to the word of God, it's really foolish. That was kind. Do you see that? Yes. Jesus said, if a man were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul, so what? He made a horrible exchange. I'm thankful to the Lord, and there's much more that will be available in an outline about this point that I'm on right now. I'm thankful for men like Moses who are willing to forsake the treasures and riches of Egypt. For what? The reproaches 
and presence of Jesus Christ. I hope that we're willing to do that. How do we apply this? What do we leave with? We need to recognize we live in the most materialistic generation in society the world has ever seen. Reject the American religion of more, more, more. Recognize where we live. Reject what they're trying to teach us. We will have to be different to please God. We cannot look like normal, average Americans. We will have to be different. We will have to make choices they don't make in order to be godly in our lives. Prove your goals by the Word of God. What goals do you have for you and your family? What are you seeking in life? Is it godliness? Is it the Lord Himself? That's what we should be seeking. Prove your goals by the Word of God. Prove your priorities. You know, once you have a goal, then you reorganize your entire life so that your priorities match up with achieving that goal. And I preached to you just a few weeks ago Solomon's priorities. Don't forget that sermon. Don't forget it. I can't re-preach it right now. You've got to retain these things. And I'm going to be preaching about that tonight because I'm very worried about that. Come in, listen to the sound of words, and go home. It is not the sound of words that does us any good. It is the sense of the words. The application of the words. The force of the words. The requirement of the words. So many people go to church and they leave and they'll say in the car on their way home, he preached a good sermon today. And all they're doing is reflecting on the sound of the words. The sound. It was like a performance by a musical instrument. Their understanding was not helped. You've got to retain these things. I preach to you about priorities. The Bible lays out very clear priorities where you can keep things in their proper order to achieve the end of godliness with contentment. The simpler the life, the better. Amen. Everything, Every choice you make to make your life more complicated, you are not choosing godliness with contentment. You are choosing complexity with frustration. And you will not have time for the Lord. Obligations, additional obligations, consume your time, energy, money, and everything you need to be able to pursue the Lord with your whole heart. Set your affection on things above. Colossians 3.2 Set it. Do you know what that means? It means you don't have to wait for the Lord to set it for you. Set it. You can choose. If you've been born again, you can choose to set your affection on things above. That means you love spiritual things and things pertaining to God more than the things of this life. You can make that choice. Jesus would say, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moths and rust do corrupt and thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That is setting your affection up there. Make your treasures God's things. Or I'm going to be visiting you shortly, laying in a bed, and there's going to be an oxygen hose right here, and you're going to be departing this world, and you will not have peace with God. And you will have wasted your whole life, and you will have not had happiness on the path from birth to that oxygen hose. That is horrible. And I don't even preach it for your gladness first. I preach it for the glory of God first, then for your gladness second. We are all racing for that destination. Set your affection on things above. Reject the false notion that you can serve two masters. You can only serve one and you should be serving him with your whole heart. Do you want to be the rich man or Lazarus? Lazarus. Do Do you want to 
fare sumptuously every day at your table in your giant house while there's a beggar laying there at the street? Or do you want to be a beggar there at the street that Jesus Christ comes by His Spirit and visits and communes with Him while He lays in a gutter? I'd rather be Lazarus. But you know what? The Lord hasn't even called us to be Lazarus. He's called us to be content. And we're living a whole lot better than Lazarus. We're living probably better than the rich man. This is America in the year 2000. We have a lot to be thankful for. Amen. <clears throat> Let the I gotta get ahead syndrome drive you to godliness. You all want to get ahead? Let's get ahead with godliness. Amen. Get ahead means I want to be doing better next year than I was last year. I want a new title. Okay, let's go for it. Fat man. You are fat in your soul by the grace of God. Let's go. i got to get ahead. Let's get ahead with godliness. Do you know what? This generation and the previous one, there's two generations that were a problem. The last two. The previous generation to us said, my children will never suffer the things that we had to suffer growing up. They have destroyed America with those words. Because if these children had suffered a little and been taught proper priorities and character over things, our nation would be better off today. Amen. <clears throat> they have saved their children from everything that makes a better man. Therefore, we don't have men anymore. Irresponsible, lazy, and no, no thought about things important. Just more, more, more. That generation went through the Depression... And they said, my children are not going to suffer like that. I'm going, to, I'm going to work one job, two jobs. I know. I've heard it so many times. It makes me sick. I'll work three jobs, four jobs. My children are not going to have to live like that. Let's take those words. My children are not going to have to live like that. Let's apply it to godliness. Let's have our homes, temples to the Lord, where we... promote, enforce, lead, and train our children in godliness so that they live better than we do, right. live better than we did. Amen. Let's have the next generation better in godliness, not with more things. Who cares? Do you see the difference? But the, that generation was bent on that. But let's be a generation that are wanting to give our children a true heritage, Amen. godliness with contentment. That is great gain. How can you apply this? Do everything in your life to the glory of God. Everything. Right. If it's even questionable, I don't know if I can do this to the glory of God, that's easy. If it's questionable, don't do it. Right. When in doubt, I was just reminded by that of my wife this past week. I used to teach her that many years ago, that we were going to live our life. When in doubt, don't. That's simple to remember. She reminded me of it just this week. Something had come up. It's easy. Do everything to the glory of God. There's many verses for that. Life is short, brethren. It's going to end before you want it to. The journey from nothing to nothing, that is your life, is going to end before you want it to. So the wise Moses in Psalm 90 would say, so teach us to number our days. Number your days. Right now, the Lord tells us you've got one. You've got today. What are you going to do with today? Number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And let's apply our hearts to wisdom. Now, wisdom is, wisdom is that 
righteousness, and knowledge that would always choose true success. Wisdom would never be deceived into choosing something that would be for your own destruction. Wisdom would always choose the success of 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment. Be wise. Number your days. Apply your hearts to wisdom. Make this your goal. 1 Timothy 6.6, make it your goal. Show your children, teach your children the priority of godliness. Godliness is not just believing the doctrine of this church, not just coming to this church on Sunday. It is a personal relationship with God. Amen. You say you sound different. Thank you. Thank you. And that comes first. I want the personal relationship with God long before any of the other things. And we don't do enough of that. We have lost that. There is too much noise and activity in our lives for that to be important anymore. You know, I made a statement last Sunday, never finished my sentence about electricity isn't just a blessing. Electricity is also a curse because it makes men either work or play all day and all night. Did you know the Lord used to turn out the lights in the winter time about five o'clock? What would you do from five till nine when you were going to go to bed? You had time to be still and know that I am God. You had time to commune with your own heart. You had time to stand in awe and sin not. You had time to pursue a relationship with the Lord. You had time to meditate. We don't have time. So many There's so much noise and activity and obligations on our life. Every day, brethren, you're going to make a choice starting today. You will make choices about your use of time. Relative to your job, your family, the neighbors, your community, your subdivision, your country, whatever, you will make choices about time, and the Lord wants the time to pursue Him. That ought to be your chief goal, and everything else ought to be subordinate to it. You're going to make choices. Hobbies, sports, whatever. Brethren, Paul told us to seek invisible things. 2 Corinthians 4.17, the invisible things that we cannot see right now that I can't put up here, and show you, but I can tell you from the Word of God, they're the things we're to seek because they are eternal. And Peter tells us that everything's going to be burned up that you're pursuing anyway, so why not just forget it? He's going to dissolve everything. I'm, I'm helpless in my flesh to tell you any better than I've just told you. I'm trusting the Lord to take the words that I've given you and to tell you that there is a relationship with God that you can have personally, where he will set you apart for himself and he will come and commune with you that exceeds anything of this life. You can have that. If you seek that first, he will add all the other things to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that is godliness. He'll add all the other things that the Gentiles worry about to you. There is a relationship that will fuel your soul day and night. At night, you'll be communing with your own heart in your bed with the Lord. During the day, He is walking and talking with you while you work, driving your car or wherever you are. The Lord wants to come and have fellowship with you. That should be your goal. That is godliness with contentment. The contentment part is there. Stop trying to get more than you need because it distracts you and takes you away from what ought to be the chief desire of your soul, and that's the Lord himself. Choose you this day whom you will serve. 
God or mammon? May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.